Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Redacted Gentlemen. Today, we will be discussing how much money does it cost to be happy? Uh, that's what we'll be discussing. John Falco, of course, myself. And uh, as always, to start things off here, we're going to be doing our whiskey review. Yes, yes. yes. So what do you what got today, Johnny? What are you drinking? Oof, there, you know, I started my day off with um, a Modelo and about uh, three Miller High Lifes and a couple of these medallas, courtesy of Tacos and Tattoos, a Puerto Rican delight. But I am finishing my day off here with an amazing Scotch whiskey um, from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. This is a, a friend of mine from Sweden that visited me this last week, brought this bottle for me. It's called Jammed with Jaffa. And this, it's Society Cast number 41.125. It's a really, really nice whiskey. It's a space side Scotch whiskey. One um, of my favorites. Yeah. Put that in. Space Absolutely. Sides, I mean, always right in my wheelhouse. I love For them. For sure. Yeah. And anyone that knows, anyone that knows Chuck and I knows that I like to drink offensive American whiskey that I love. And he's a Scotch guy. And when we get together, he drinks my whiskey. I drink his. So... It's very apropos for this uh, podcast for me to drink a delicious scotch, which I am drinking. What do you got there, Chuck? So I actually had a single dram left of, and I, I can't say this without saying it in the Scottish accent Naturally. for some ungodly reason. So you have to bear with me. But it is, of course, the uh, the Game of Thrones House Targaryen Oof. Cardu. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I remember you and I shared... Some yeah, version of those Game of Thrones whiskeys. Yeah, what, yeah. Yeah, what version was that? What version was that? Well, we, sure? we actually did a couple. So we did the Cardu. Uh, it was, yeah. it was actually, it was, it's really good. Honestly, it's, yeah. <laughs> and the price that you can get this for, I think so many people were pissed off at the ending of the show that they just stopped <laughs> buying the bottles. So you can, so you, can them. Actually, you can actually get the Cardu for about 50 bucks and it's honestly a $70 oh. bottle of whiskey. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, the best one, the best one we had was the Night's Watch, and that was Ooh, yes. done by Oban, and that oh, was God. so good. We we went through the entire bottle one night, and it was just that was that was glorious, dude. Oban, the bottom line is this: I, I remember back in oh God, when was the meat of our whiskey drinking relationship, Chuck? I mean, that was probably 2012, 13, 14, 2013, 14, maybe. Oh man, so five, six, seven years ago. Getting into into craft beer, I want to say in 2013. Yeah, probably 2013. Marty that... Weeks showed up. We start. You started yes. brewing in your garage. Oh, took good times. Classes, great times. Yeah, yeah. And we had we had uh, we started getting craft beer. Yep. I had to go to the Pentagon. Yes. Um, as always. That's right. So That's I went right. up to the Pentagon and I met up with our good friend Maddie Badura. So that would have been 2014. Oh, yeah. This is the second Maddie Badura reference in any of our podcasts. You need to tell no, him if he's not no, listening. He's losing. Here it. One time. Yeah. I know. Tell uh, me about it. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And I think he introduced you to some great to, whiskey. To, to scotch. He introduced oh. me to scotch. And we spent the night going around Old Town there in Virginia. Ooh. Great and little, great little spot. Oh, yeah. spot yeah really, I dig really old town. it's good yeah yeah and we we went through and uh, a couple different bars and he took me through the range and introduced me to everything from the campfire la 
through the space side, the highlands, and Oof. I was I was stuck after amazing. that. It's, anything that has that much variety inside it's of one thing, it's it absolutely is amazing. They've been making whiskey since before we America in general existed. It's so beautiful, and uh, you know I've never been to Scotland, but I've heard so many amazing things about Scotland. Luckily, we can enjoy. All due respect to our Scottish brethren and sistren, food is not necessarily world-renowned, but there's certainly their whiskey is. So Absolutely. here Absolutely. we are, are enjoying this. So five and a half minutes into this podcast, a good solid whisker review on to <laughs> our main topic, which is what does it cost to be happy? What does it cost to be happy? And what do you got? Me- Right now, I'm going to say a $60 bottle of Scotch. <laughs> but, hey, but then, you know what, though? I, I, I've got this $60 bottle of Scotch, but there, there's a couple other costs that I'm not adding in to what it takes to be happy right now, right? Which is? I got the cost of my high-speed internet, so I can sit here on a True. Zoom with my friend, my bro, and, and talk yeah. about with and talk about interesting things, right? I've sure. got the cost of the iPad that I am using to Zoom with you on. Good point. Right? I got the cost of this house that I'm sitting in. Now my house is nothing great, granted. <laughs> well, thirteen hundred square feet. But I'm a, I'm a man beautiful. of simple. I'm a man of simple tastes. As we all are deep down. As we all are deep down. So, question, so, Chuck. Yeah. I want to ask you a very simple, very simple quote, quote unquote, simple question. What does it cost to be happy? Talk to me. What What does it cost to be happy? So when we were we were talking about this this week, and we said how we're going to approach this subject. You and I were both taking slightly different views. Yeah. Uh, I I took a, what does it cost as in cost of living? What does it cost to meet minimum requirements to live in, in today's day and age? And honestly, some of the research that I, I found, I wasn't too surprised at um, just because I run my household budget. I know I know what it costs for me to live. And as we said before, I'm, I'm a man of simple taste. So I know what sure. it costs for me to live and to be happy. However, when you start comparing those costs, right, you go back in history and you look at what, what we consider the golden age, right? The golden age of you and I, we look back 50s, 60s. The 50s, yes. Oh man, what did it cost to actually be happy back then? And this kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, even accounting for the cost of inflation. So I have here from thepeoplehistory.com. So cost of a new car. And I've actually only have ever purchased one new car in my entire life. Everything I bought has been used. But now I love my truck and it's a 15-year-old <laughs> rundown pickup. But Amazing. you know what? I, it's amazing and I love it and it still runs because that's what Toyota does they build cars that can run to 300,000 miles and don't have any issues God bless but, uh, Japanese cars <laughs> so uh let's just say 1960 let's use that as our metric right we're just we're coming out of of the uh the 50s we're getting into the the peace and love era and we haven't quite hit that you know Vietnam war segment of american history but in the 60s a brand new car yeah cost twenty six hundred dollars but what's my average income in the 60s Ah, yeah so your average income in the 60s 
Actually, I don't have average income in sixty. Well, yeah, yeah whatever. Like, what's the like purchasing power parity? Like, what, purchasing, what? Yeah, and that's what yeah. we're talking about here is purchasing power parity. Um, but what I did is adjust for inflation, right? Of course, so of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which will give us that. Right, right. So you're adjusted inflation. Are you ready? You ready for this? Adjusted I mean, inflation for that car, four thousand dollars. Wow. So and what that, happened? Yeah. Well, let's be very clear here for a second. If I produce a widget. And I produced that widget on day one. Hypothetically and realistically, the cost of producing additional widgets are basically that um, industrial engineering, basically that our ability to produce that topic, in this case, a car, a vehicle of which, oh, by the way, in the 60s, we were, we were 80 years into the production of cars as, a, as humanity. Right. This was not a new thing. This wasn't like, oh, right. it's mass production. Mass production wasn't even until Henry Ford. Exactly. Yeah. But even Henry Ford was in the 1910s. Yeah. The beginning of the 20th century. So the point is, we've been producing this for a tremendous amount of time. And now, oh, by the way, it's still incredibly cheap. So why does it jump up? The question is, why does that something that should hypothetically get cheaper? Why does it jump up, Chuck? Yeah. So where does that where does that inflation type level on, on the cost of goods come from? Well, unfortunately, when you're dealing with something like a car, most of that comes from regulation, right? <laughs> Let's look at cars in the 60s. What did Good we point. have? <laughs> Seatbelts? Uh, Not important. Maybe we got some, maybe we don't. You got to wear them all the time? <laughs> Heck no. Hey, even in the 80s when we were kids, how many times did you freaking get in the back of the station wagon? Uh, no seatbelt, hanging out, just, just driving around town. I can't, I can't tell you how many times, Chuck, because it was literally every time. Every time, exactly. It was literally so, every time. Different world now. Like We would never have put our kids in that situation. God, our no, kids are you kidding Five-point racing harnesses. Yes. Extreme, extreme cushion. Yes. We're, we're, in a, we're in a post-Dale Earnhardt society right now. Like, we are trapped in Dale. And so because of the amount of regulation that they had, the costs had to go up. Right. But then, of course, we have, well, those costs start going up. And this was something else that I found interesting is, OK, so we can add on um, recently. The last last bit of regulation that came to cars was uh, the government required that by 2016, every single vehicle manufactured had to have backup camera. Right. And the car manufacturers wow. flipped the lid. They didn't want to have that. They screamed. They hollered because that increases, of course the price of manufacturing and therefore the price of the car. And the average new car today is $26,000, excluding the higher end luxury market, right? Good God, 26,000, that, that almost 10 I, times. I'm legit shocked. I have not, so anyone listening, I have not heard this. We don't talk about these things before. That is amazing. Right, it's 10 times, 10 times the cost. So you can't tell me that 10 times the cost is due to inflation. That's not true. You no. can't tell me that 10 times the cost is just due to manufacture. There's this whole other issue that has come up with this, and that is the cost of zero. And this was a brand new concept to me. This is something that, that I wasn't aware of and actually has a lot to do with what's going on right now with the fight to increase minimum wage. And we're not going to get into the politics of it, right? Sure, because yeah, that's sure. that's that's political, and we yeah. don't have data to discuss on that by right right now. Correct. But what was interesting is you look throughout history between 19, 1960 and now, right? 
<clears throat> so your minimum wage in 1960 was $1.78, mm -hmm. right? Right now, and actually I can't remember what it is right now, John, maybe yeah. you know. Yeah, in the state of Florida, I want to say it's it's um, $8.56 an hour in the year 2020. Yeah. Okay, so that's so that's where we're at now. But this concept of the, the zero, the new zero, every time you increase something like minimum wage, everything goes up. Cost of living goes up. And that's not just inflation. Inflation is an entirely different metric that's controlled by the Fed that they, they ensure what is the purchasing power of the dollar. We actually do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves with the cost of zero. Because what happens is, is when, say, minimum wage goes up $15 an hour, sounds great. And you know what? Honestly, people are going to be much happier for the first three years. Then all of those things that you could afford on $8 an hour and you couldn't afford because you didn't have $15 an hour now become necessary at $15 sure. an hour. Your yeah, rent sure. goes up. Why? Honestly, greed. Because your yeah. landlord goes, hey, they can afford more. I want more of that now. They sure. can only afford 650 bucks a month when they were making $8. They're making 15. Guess what? Yeah. Rent is now 900 bucks. Yeah. And we yeah. end up and it it goes through the entire economy and the cost of zero ends up costing us much much more, which is where we get to where we are now. Mm -hmm. So now we we've, we've kind of figured out, okay, so we know what it used to cost to be happy. But we've also got this other side of it, other than just what it cost, what we used to make versus the, the purchasing power of the dollar, right? Which you brought up, which is we had good purchasing power of the dollar, but now what we've got is we've got all of these others. And I, I, I don't want to call them superfluous. I don't want to say they're superfluous items, but is it what they are superfluous. They're yeah, superfluous. They're, you don't need no, Netflix. But it's not superfluous because we just talked about this. It's not superfluous because I need fast internet to talk to you right now. That's true. I need you, but, fast well, internet so I can watch my freaking Westworld. Well, let's get to the root of this, right? Um, well, it's it's really is the new zero. Like, do you need to talk to me right now? Do we need to do this? I mean, for fulfillment, for happiness, we do to a certain extent. I mean, other if I wasn't sitting here sitting here talking to you or talking to people listening to this. I'd be, you know, staring at a wall, you know, right now it's nine 11 at night on a Thursday. My kids are in bed. My wife's in the bath. I could be watching Netflix, which I couldn't watch. If I didn't have fast internet. I would just be sitting here and, and, you know, maybe I'm growing plants or maybe I'm doing pushups. I don't know, but certainly it, if for no other reason, Chuck, it reduces your options to reach some level of satisfaction. Some level of happiness, let's not use satisfaction. It reduces your options to reach some level of happiness. It right. certainly does. So I like to define the term need as if you don't have that item, because in America, listen, in America, we define the term need very differently from the true definition of the word need. And, and we could sit here all day and say, oh, need is just water and food every 25 days and maybe a roof on your head so you don't get you know, trench rot. No, that's not need in America. Need in America is if you don't have this item, it causes you physical or mental anguish. Right. And now you're talking about community-based pressure. 
right? Oh, absolutely. There's also that, which is yeah. cell phone, Chuck. Keep, 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 about up, that. keep up keep up with the Joneses, right? It's the yeah. new version of keep up with the Joneses. It's no longer keep up with the Joneses used to be. Let's go back to the 60s, right? Keep up with the Joneses was who has the nicer car in the neighborhood? Who who just added the extension on their house? Who uh, who has some nice dresses for Sunday service? Well, right. Can I throw a little bit? You want to talk about keeping up with the Joneses? This gets right into a little bit of the research that I dug into. All right. So, the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and the U.S. Census Bureau. So this was a full federal. Whether you like the Fed or not, okay, we're not talking politics. Point is, is that there's some level of credibility of the Federal Reserve bank system and the federal reserve bank of san francisco and the u.s census bureau which is i hope the u.s census bureau is globally respected some level performed a study on this very topic and so here was the finding let's talk about keeping up with the joneses i'm going to read you the exact line this is their first finding people that earn less than 10 percent of their neighbors income are four and a half percent more likely to commit suicide Commit suicide. We're not talking about suffering from depression. We're not talking about, you know, anger or psychological issues. Yeah, we are talking about the most extreme version of depression, you know, which is suicide. Four and a half percent more likely, which is an incredibly large number. I mean, this is this is not, you know, rounding error. So that's if you earn ten percent. That's ten percent less. So if I live, let's say I live next to someone that makes a hundred thousand a year. If I make ninety thousand a year next to that person, and my let's say all my neighbors make a hundred thousand or over, I'm four and a half percent more likely to commit suicide. This is based on census data. So there is a challenge that keeping up with the Jonias is literally detrimental to your health. You know, and this, you know, and, and they the, these these folks. They came to the conclusion that this is either, this is probably likely a combination of like an increased cost of living. For example, let's say Chuck, you make a hundred thousand a year. I make less. You, an average evening meal for you isn't Popeye's chicken. An average evening meal for you is a sixty dollar dinner. I go out to dinner with you. It's out of my means. You know, con- continue this. All of a sudden, I'm in debt. At, and also, they said, the concept of living within the wealth gap. You are literally within the wealth gap. There's a tremendous ego hit on that. And within that same study, they actually found, you know, cause we need to answer the question, which is what does it cost to be happy? So I'm going to tell you what it costs to not be incredibly sad. And that is $34,000 a year. So what they found is that those individuals that made 34,000, assuming you're supporting a household, right? If you're, if you're making 34,000 and you're living with your mom, that's awesome, but you don't really fall into the statistics. So $34,000, they call that the quote unquote misery line. And I'm going to hit you with some incredibly aggressive statistics. If you are making less than $34,000 a year, you are 50, 50% more likely to commit suicide. Just okay. to, yeah. Give you a comparison. If you make between 34, so People that go from 34000 to 102000 a year. So Chuck makes $102,000 a year. I make $34,000 I wish. <laughs> I make $34,001. I am only- Keep in mind, folks, I'm still a public servant. Yeah. <laughs> not, 
You can find out exactly what a GG11 makes. <laughs> so I have, if I make 35,000 a year and Chuck makes 102,000 a year, there's only a 10% increase in my suicide rate, which is very high. But compare that to under $34,000, which is a 50% increase in suicide. It's incredibly, incredibly large. Let me hit you with one more, Chuck, and I'm going to hand it over to you. If you are unemployed or out of the labor force for any reason, let's say a disability, you are 72% more likely to commit suicide. 72%. It's, these are astronomical numbers. These are astronomical numbers. So, yeah. so why do you think, John, why do you, why do you think that is that this person who is 72% more likely to die by suicide, why do you think, what drives them to that? Do you think it's society? Do you think it's, it's part of yeah. this, this keeping up with the Joneses mentality that they're no longer contributing? They're not, they're not able to afford the nice things. So their life sucks. So they must give up. Sure. But so, I, I mean, I mean, I, Conjecture here, folks. Yeah, Pure this is this is yeah, warn exactly, Chuck. Warning, <laughs> warning, conjecture zone, warning, warning, conjecture zone. So I feel that if you are to a point where you cannot provide for yourself or your family, I feel you have hit a point in your life where you're no longer able to satisfy the minimum level of human responsibility. Which right. is an aggressive, an aggressive way to say that if we look at the job of a human in two stages, right? This is kind of touching on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. And that's what so, I'm going to talk about next here. Sure. The first being survival. And oh, by the way, as two fathers here, before we survive to provide for our family, if you can't provide for your family, then you're never going to hit that second stage. You're never going to hit that third, fourth, fifth stage. So I think that devalues you so much in your brain that it brings you to that point. Now, that being said, I would never in a million years even attempt to understand or approach what someone, someone who commits suicide or comes to that conclusion, what they are thinking about. I, I was just, you got me thinking, you know, there was a, a story I read um, so in the 2008 crash, right? Sure. Some of our younger audience may not remember that, but when I were definitely around for that one, housing market just completely bottom fell out. Things sucked. Uh, there was a story I read, and this was uh, back when, let's see, I was living in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, which is by Palm Beach, which of course is the island of the richest people in yeah. the US. It was a, a Palm Beacher who, who died by suicide during that, according to a suicide note, because he could no longer provide for his family. Wow. He had lost all of his money and it was done. So that, that ties into what you were saying, but here's what blows my mind. He did it with $300,000 in cash in his bank account and over a million dollars in assets. Why? Why did to he do him, it? To him, that was flat broke. That was oh that was God. beyond broke. Could not my comprehend God. life below that line. Whereas if somebody dropped three hundred thousand in my lap, that's a life changing amount of money. Oh God, yes! <laughs> you could open a business. You could pay for your your kid and five other children's um, out of state private college, college funds, at least tuition. for a year. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so let's talk about that. So you're discussing most, mostly net worth. 
So I want right. to delve a little bit into income, right? So for most of us to include everyone on this call, i.e. you and I, um, since we are still young, very young, by the way, extremely, um, <laughs> one would say yep. extremely young. And, and that, by, which, by the way, did you know that 2050 is just as far away as 1990? I hate you so much, but anyway, <laughs> that's neither here there. So let's talk about income levels. So for, I mean, net worth is huge, but net, net worth is not liquid. Um, so as a business owner, I know that that's the greatest, um, falsehood. Uh, about business owners that they're rich. No, the only thing we are rich in is the ability to make a decision um, and potentially net worth if we're not failing. So, but income level. So there was what I can only call the perfect statistical study. And oh, by the way, here's a little teaser. Chuck Finley and I are going to delve deep into, into the world of statistics and how to use those in the very near future, but currently I dug into this and it was a, a study done by two PhDs. One of them was Angus Deaton, uh, who's a renowned economist. And one is a gentleman by the name of Daniel Kahneman, who's also a PhD. And he is a, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Nobel prize winning psychologist. They're both- Nobel, Never heard yeah, of that. Before. Yeah, never heard of it, exactly. Must be a bum. Yeah. So they're both from Princeton University and they dug into what's called the Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index or the GHWBI, terrible acronym. It's a daily survey that they call about a thousand US residents a day. I don't know if this is still going on, it's irrelevant, but they call about a thousand people a day. And what they did is these two gentlemen analyzed 450,000 responses to the GW, sorry, GHWBI. Um, this was between the years of 2008 and 2009. So, and these daily surveys, they ask a battery of questions about well-being, and this is what they found. They also ask income levels, of course. So what they found is, so they defined quote unquote happiness, and I'm going to call that my words, long-term happiness, overall happiness. They defined it as the fulfillment or the result, excuse me, of the fulfillment of two abstract psychological states, which are emotional well-being, which is kind of a short view. Let's call that current happiness or what I think most people will consider happiness. Like, hey, 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 um, hey, Steve, are you happy? Yes. I, if I ask you that question, that probably that's probably asking, are you happy right now? Right. So the uh, that's emotional well-being. Right. So the other thing is life evaluation, which is kind of a long view. So if I'm looking out and I'm assessing my life from my birth to now, how do I assess that life? And what they found, let's just start with life evaluations. Now, life evaluations, they see these as two independent characteristics, emotional well-being, life evaluation, happiness, and how you judge how well you've done, essentially, right? Life evaluation. They're independent. Obviously, they have some relation, but someone could evaluate their life pretty well and still have a very low emotional well-being. For the purposes of this podcast, I would say emotional well-being is probably what we're looking at. We want to be happy now, right? So, but let's look at life evaluations. The best life evaluations came from people who A, went to college, B, got married, and C, were employed. So yes. they saw this as, yeah, okay, true. Maybe that's because there's a societal definition of life salvation was you got to have 
You got to go to college. You got to have a wife and two and a half kids and a white picket fence. We checked that box. Therefore, our life, life evaluation is high. Right, and I, I would I would agree with that somewhat. That that's that's a driving societal pressure. Sure. Now let's look at people with poor life evaluations. Now let's keep in mind this was done between 2008 and 2009, a time where creativity and maybe progressive approaches to income, if I could be, you know, just vague, were were valued a little bit less, you know. So poor life evaluations came from people who wanted to be the, the poorest came from people who wanted to be performing artists when they were 18, but didn't end up didn't end up there. So they were generally dissatisfied with their life when they were 45 years old, right? So interesting. Exactly. Well, what they defined here was, and, and with other inputs, was that a, a, a high life evaluation comes from setting attainable goals, right? So now let's, let's go back to the other, con the other abstract psychological state, which is emotional well-being. So the happiest folks, the folks with the highest emotional well-being, the folks that said, I am happy now, I am happy. There was a couple things they had. The first thing they had was social contact. They had friends. They had family they cared for. They had friends that they can connect with and share social contact with. So um, what they concluded, frankly, is that loneliness is a bad thing. But there's one other huge thing. And that is the number that is $75,000. People that had an income, assuming again, they weren't alone living in their families, but an average human that lived on their own that made under $75,000 had a lower value, lower emotional well-being. And if you made over $75,000, there was no correlation between or, or very minimal correlation between your income level and emotional well-being. Life evaluation shot up. So if I made 250, 300, 400,000 a year, I looked back on my life and said, yeah, I'm more successful because now I can, they assess that this was, this is conjecture, but they assess that this was based on, I can quantify my life success, but there was no reasonable nominal increase in emotional well-being. So let me just, let me just dilute all this down. Let me just tell this down. If you make under $75,000, you are going to be less happy. If you make $75,000, you are going to be just fine. If you make over $75,000, you don't necessarily get any happier making more than $75,000. That, that's, that's a good point. And I think that's a quantifiable metric, right? That's something we can use. We can point to and say, okay, $75,000, there's the line. That's something where we can, we can determine for a fact where people are happiest. But you mentioned something a minute ago, which which clicked in my memory, uh, a study that I'd read years ago. That's community. You talked about how if people were involved in their society, if people had had more relations, how they were happier, right? So that is actually something called the Rosetto effect. And this is pretty interesting. So it comes from, it's named after Rosetto, Pennsylvania. And it came to notice back in 1961, right? 
a, a local doctor noticed that a lot of his patients did not have heart attacks, even though they had diets high in cholesterol, right? It was a, an Italian-American community. And so, I mean, just think of all the stuff Italians <laughs> typically eat, right? Cheese, meats and pasta, fat and, and red, red wine and just, and yes. so they did this, this massive study to figure out why. They wanted to know, was it the red wine? Was it, was it what they ate? What would, and you know what they found out? It was the fact that this was a close-knit community. This was a, where they, everyone had community ties and everybody knew their place in society. Which brings us back to what we were talking about earlier is, is it keeping up with the Joneses that's making us happy or not? Is that's what's driving it? And that kind of draws back, at least in my mind, to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So where are you happy at? So we know that $75,000 is the dollar point, right? Which by the way, let me say one quick snippet. Chuck, sorry to interrupt you. $75,000 applied in their study, even in New York City, even in the highest income levels for whatever it's worth, that was a consistent number. Look at, I don't know the explanation. They didn't either, but it applied to even the most expensive cities. But anyway, let's talk about Maslow's hierarchy. So I would, I would conjecture though, I would conjecture that $75,000, even in New York city is the amount that allows you to have the community connection with your, with your friends and family. So you're not, you're not going to be able to afford a big apartment. Who cares? But you know what you can do? You can have your friends over for a drink and some Turkey on Thanksgiving. You can, you can have a good time together. Um, and you know, you want to go out to Topeka, Kansas, $75,000. Well, you're going to live a little bit larger, but you know what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to enjoy that family life. And that brings us into Maslow again. So you've yeah. got this bottom level, right? The thing about Maslow is, uh, it, it, warning, it's a pyramid scheme, but no, it's yeah. not really. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I think you need to explain Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, give me a, give me a elevator pitch, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Uh, what is Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Right. So, uh, so Maslow's hierarchy, right? It, it all came down to basically what comes to a pyramid, right? how you are happy in life, how people are happy and how you get there. It starts at the bottom of your base layer, right? Your base layer of your physiological needs. And this is what we discussed, your air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. And anybody who's been in the military for any lack of time, any amount of time knows sleep is a big one. <laughs> your ability to sleep comfortably huge. makes a huge difference yeah. with how happy you are in life. I mean, whether you're deployed or, you know, you're just working odd hours because of some crisis, your ability to sleep makes a big deal. Oh, it's a huge uh, deal. So huge in deal. terms of income, like you said earlier, I would put that at your, at, at just below your $34,000 level, right? That minimum level mm-hmm. in America. We're only talking sure. America here. We're not talking, you know, sub-Saharan Africa because that's a whole different life. And we have no relevant data for that. Yeah, we don't. But, we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not to poo-poo that, but we just have no relevant data for that. We have no, we have no data for that. And yeah. you know what? I, honestly, I'm going to say, you know, to, to jump to the end there a little bit, I'm going to say some of those people may be happier than some of us because their community standards are a lot different and they're a lot easier to keep up with. Yep. So physiological needs, that's your base layer. As long as you're well cared for, you can eat, you can sleep right? You have shelter. 
So on top of that, you have your safety needs. Are you safe? Your personal security, employment, your resources, health and property. Is, this, is your, this is your insurance level. And, and this is something I was trying to, to break down to my kids the other day. They, my kids have recently started getting an allowance based on the chores that they do. Now, this is my kids about that. It's a big mistake, huge mistake on my part. And I set this up for my kids and I set it up as, all right, 25 cents a chore. And I'm thinking 25 cents a chore. I'm going to get my kids like five bucks a week. No, no, no. You want to know what my little industrious engineers make a week? About $17 a week each. Jesus. <laughs> so, that, that's a proper wage. And, and this, this is, this is, by the way, this is a second and a fourth grader. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I thought I was going to get off light. That's not the case. But I said, okay, here's what daddy makes. And they, of course, bug-eyed, wild. Oh my gosh, we can buy so many Nerf guns. <laughs> yeah, and, you gotta pay for the fucking mortgage, lady. <laughs> exactly. So, so we added it up. I had him get out of the calculator, and we broke down mortgage, broke down insurance, broke down cars, car payments, car insurance, and then what was left at the end of the day? Oh, food. We broke down because we have a, a set food budget in my house. We broke down exactly what that costs, and we know exactly what it costs. And so by the end of it, and I said, okay, guys, so what's left? And they're like, ooh, not that much. And I said, well, what does that get spent on? And they're like, presents for us? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah nerf probably, guns. <laughs> probably exactly what that gets spent on. <laughs> but <clears throat> so back to it. So your bottom level, right? Those are your physiological needs. That is your base layer of the pyramid. That is what you need to survive. This is caveman level stuff yeah. this is i can live i can eat i can sleep at night mm -hmm. on More top of that food. you've got your safety needs right so that's your next level of happiness if you will once your personal safety is secured and if you want to take it back to the to the caveman thing hey i've got a cave to live in and i got at least five or six friends that can help me keep watch through the night so that we're safe and if if a mountain lion comes up, we're good to go. Or saber-toothed tiger, we're good to go. We can take it out. Yes. And guess what? Community, love and belonging. So friendship, intimacy, family, and some sort of sense of connection. And this is really, this is your third level of the pyramid, almost the top, right? You've only got another two layers to go. But this is where you start to bring in those levels that we were talking about is what does it cost to be happy? Yeah. And real happiness starts to become apparent right at this third level there. And so now we're above that, that $45,000, right? And I would say we're starting to edge into, I would, I would put this somewhere around 65,000. Yeah. Right? And, and that's something that, you know, Dr. Deaton and um, Dr. Kenneman, uh, and I'm probably mispronouncing that. That's something they said. Their conjecture as, and I didn't mention this before, as to why 75,000 might be that number is exactly what you're talking about, Chuck, which is we need social contact and there is a cost to that social contact. And, and frankly, this is gonna sound, I feel like any purist is gonna go, oh, this is absurd. But you know what the cost of that social contact is? Is a, is, is a beer. It's a whiskey, it's a cheese plate, it's 
it's inviting people over and, and, and having a, a warm house. So when they come over, they're willing to stick around. So you'd be able to pay for your heat. It's, it's, there is a cost to social contact, which yep. like just saying that there's a cost to see people is makes me feel dirty, but the reality of the matter, and it's been this reality, and this isn't a 2020 Instagram, TikTok reality. This is a reality since that, I mean, since the Romans, I mean, there's a cost to social contact. Exactly. And you know what? The, the thing is, though, is that can have a negative effect, just like you were talking about. Sure. Because if John was making 100000 a year and I was making 40000 a year, and John says, hey, man, you know, I really love hanging out with you. Let's go out to dinner. And I say, sure. And then he gets in the car, he drives, and we're pulling up to Morton's Steakhouse. I'm thinking... I don't have the money for this. Yeah. I can't socialize at this level. I yeah. can't do this. And so that interrupts that whole sense of community. And so there is a cost to it and it can be detrimental. And that whole disparity is kind of what we've got here and why we have that, that whole issue of people, you know, committing suicide when they're yeah. even 10% less. And that's a problem. Let's move beyond that, right? Let's yeah, move beyond going. the, 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 the beyond. Let's say you've got that. You're, you're comfortable where you are. You know you can provide. So then you can move to the next level of happiness. And what is that? It's esteem, right? Your sure. respect. Because now, well, we know at least one person who puts everything at the crux of this level. <laughs> is he respected? Is, is he admired? Do people come to his house and go, that is a nice waterfall you've got there. Sure. That is a great waterfall. Sure, which is got. unfortunate as shit, right? But this <laughs> yeah. is really ego. This is really exactly. ego. So it's, so this it, is it, like, exactly. yeah. Is ego is, is are you satisfied with yourself and your projection of self into society? And sure. you know what's interesting is in the Instagram TikTok society, we've kind of supplanted this to some degree. We have the fake the fake recognition of society, well, the fake recognition of society that we've created where we have these fake lives that are lived out on social media. Now, I'm a little too old and well in Intel to have much of a social media life at all. <laughs> but yes, I recognize the symptoms that I see going on out there where everyone is like, I, I have to find this level of happiness. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to find that by jumping over levels two of safety needs and level three of God, love and belonging. And I'm going to supplant them with esteem. I'm going to make myself happy by appearing that I am, I've got all these other things taken care of, even when I don't. And I mean, especially, you know, when I used to live there in Miami with you, I noticed that uh, was a big thing. Oh, a guy couldn't thing. afford his rent. But he'd rent a fucking Maserati on the weekend to go oh, drive yeah. down the strip. Yeah, dude. Anyone that knows me, you know, I live in a. Uh, I say I, m me, my beautiful wife, and two cute kids live in a. I, mean, I don't know how big we are. I think we're fourteen hundred square foot con. Or sorry, uh, yeah, condo. Condo. We bought it. Um, but three other. And it might be a condo. Yeah. yeah, I know, condo. We live in a quadplex, right? Now, I, I'm very lucky enough to own three businesses and live in a, in a, but you know what? I live in a quadplex with three, four, with three other families 
and I drive a Honda Fit that's 11 years old and has 150,000 miles on it. And I'm very happy. I'm incredibly fulfilled, you know, and it doesn't matter. And I, and I do that, frankly, because, well, one, I have to, but two, like, there's no need for anything above that, you know, and then this comes down, Chuck, to where the value is in society. And I think you're hitting on that with your description of um, um, Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy, you know? Right. And you've hit the top level, the very top of that pyramid, self-actualization, which, yeah, which I is the term. I, I, I hate the term because that's something that, you know, that has been used over the years by, you know, these hippies to say, oh, no, you just need to be self-actualized, dude. Hippies, but the reality uh, is <laughs> the actual term means, yeah, you want to be self-actualized, which is the desire to become the most that one can be. Basically, are you happy with who you are? Can you be happy with who you are. Oh, that's such a tough statement, though, because I feel like anyone that has the wrong, and it, I think it comes, to, it doesn't come, I feel like we're looking at the score when we really need to look at what we're, what it is we're keeping score of. I oh, feel you're like, right. yeah, you're right. I feel, what I feel, are you keeping score of? Yeah, I feel like if I'm the individual who but is. But that's the top, top level, the best you, you can be. Can you yeah. be happy? With that, can you be happy regardless of the score? Can you go? I am happy with who I am. Yeah, right exactly. Now. Yeah, but is, is the best the, is the best I can be the happiest I can be? I mean, I feel like that's the challenge, right? You know, I mean, I don't know. It's incredibly I, difficult. And, and it may be. It may be. I mean, is it is that the happiest I can be? Could I be a lot happier with if somebody dropped you know a million dollars in my lap? Maybe. You know, Maybe you know not. what I would do? I would I would I would start some businesses. I would be I would be busy. I would have more money invested. Um, I would definitely have my my kids' college funds set aside and paid for. Uh, I wouldn't have to worry about my daily bills like I do. But you know what? This brings me back to that I can remember being truly happy. And I'm I'm perfectly happy now. I don't make a lot of money. Right. I'm a, I'm a government sure. employee and, and I'm just going to put this out there. Yeah. No government employee should make a lot of money. No, it is 100%. 100%. I saw Not. somebody on Cora lately, which if you don't know, Q-U-O-R-A is a great little website. It is really good. Basically go on and answer questions. And somebody said something that really ticked me off. They're like, well, you can measure a great politician, a great public servant by how much their net worth is after uh. they get in office. And I oh. said that the exact opposite. That's that terrible. The exact opposite of what it should be. A public servant is a public servant. They should make enough to live. If they make enough to live, that's all it should be because their happiness comes from their job, from serving others. And that's what I do. And so I'm happy now. But yes, and you're a fantastic government servant, by the way. Let me just say that, not to stroke your <laughs> ego a little, but um, it is what it is. But going back to when I, I've been happiest in my life, various moments, and honestly, when I felt the most alive, right? And, you know, I mean, obviously, we can say things about being operational when, you know, IDF is going off and, you know, VBIDs okay. are blowing up at the ECP. And wow, that's uh, a lot of acronyms. IDF is indirect fire. That's he's talking about when he was getting mortared in Afghanistan. VBED is vehicle borne improvised explosive device. It's a car bomb. Um, ECP is entry control point. So he's talking about when it's called a complex getting, attack. 
Yeah, we're, yeah, when we're getting hit with mortars and a car bomb goes off at the gate of an American base. That's an right, And they're trying thing. to invade, right? So you feel alive in that moment because honestly, honest to God, you're just trying to make it home. You are, you feel that you are alive because you are about to die. Sure. That's when you're alive. Yeah. But outside of it that, sucks. honestly, it's it's the struggle that makes you feel alive. It when does. I was in college, I was working this job, and this sticks out in my mind when I was doing this research so much. I was working this job in retail, and I, I worked for uh, Restoration Hardware. Phenomenal whiskey. Are you going to have more of it? You I'm, son I'm of gonna a bitch. I, you I son feel, of a bitch. I think I accidentally tainted this whiskey. So, so listen, we don't have a video here, but Chuck and I are on Zoom because it, it makes for a better conversation. And I promise that I wouldn't drink any more of this whiskey without his attendance. But I'm gonna yeah, you, you understand you cannot buy another bottle of this because you I'm can't taking, get it. Look, look, dude, look at that. You, under, you understand this. That's an infant finger. You have plenty. There's, there, yeah, we're plenty. We're that plenty. is a dram. That is a dram you have, oh, sir. Get the that front is a door dram out of here. Whiskey. Anyway, continue. So as I was saying, so you son of a bitch. So in, in college, I worked at uh, Restoration Hardware, which of course, minimum wage at the time. I don't remember exactly what it was. but Welcome it's, to uh, corporate America. Uh, oh, and by the way, by the way, uh, it's not full time because they make sure that they have enough employees so no one is over 35 hours a week so they cannot be considered full-time and qualified for benefits. Thank yes. you. You're welcome. Thank Corporate you. America. God bless America. But uh, you know what? It was a good job and I was happy. I had absolutely no money. And I remember one time very clearly on a Tuesday, I, I was driving home on that Tuesday and payday was Friday. I had $4.00 and change in your account no in my in my my hand in my, my i had nothing okay. in my account i think i it yeah. was probably <laughs> overdrawn to be honest yeah that was probably a, i'm all about, i was all about that overdrawn life back in the day oh yeah no that was that was the way to live but i had i had four dollars and i looked at my gas tank i realized i had i think two things left of ramen noodles and I realized, okay, I need to get something to eat, but I also need gas to get to work. And honestly, I felt alive. <laughs> My life survival is beautiful. Valued by something. Survival is beautiful. You know, simplicity is beautiful. So, you know, let me, the one thing I, I, I told myself, I said, if everyone, you know, we're at about 55 minutes of this podcast. So I told myself, I'm going to make this palatable for the millennials and the Gen Z. Now, Chuck Finley and I are, I'm not going to tell you Chuck's age, but I am a Gen X-ish and early Gen X. He is not far away from me. It's, it's, you know, I told myself when we started recording this podcast, when I started researching this, I told myself I was going to distill this down for the people with incredibly low patience and, atten and uh, um, attention span, two recommendations. I'm literally going to tell you based on, this is a huge caveat, based on these, these two research projects and based on what we just talked about with Chuck here, I'm gonna give you recommendations on how to be happy based statistically on data, not based on some Instagram dickhead who decides to tell you how to be happy. Based on data, here's, here are my recommendations. One, set attainable goals. Set goals and make sure they're attainable. 
don't don't say oh you know i like playing the guitar and i like singing i'm gonna be a recording artist don't do that just say i want to learn four more chords set attainable goals number two stay employed get a job keep a job if you lose a job get another job stay employed i'm telling you two or three whatever you have to do make thirty four thousand dollars a year and get there as fast as possible and eventually find a way to set yourself up find a path to get to seventy five thousand a year and perhaps most importantly number four socialize socialize with people you have to force it if you just say, oh, you know, I, I, I got my boy right here, but it's Steve and Steve's a dick. So find someone else, but you have to socialize. It's for your own health. But not least, live within your means and live around people of your same means. And then hang out with others within your socioeconomic range. Hang out with people that are like you. Those are the ways. Again, set attainable goals, stay employed, make 34000 Plan for 70, 75,000, socialize with people, live within your means, live around your means and hang out with people that are within your means. That is how you're happy. Exactly. I agree. I, I agree hundred percent there, especially the part where you, you live around your means and you hang out with people around your means because that that's what's most important. Now, uh, there was a study done um, as to who's happiest in marriage, right? And that's one of the things that that counts. Of course, we saw that in some of the studies is that people sure. who got married were happier. And I'm not. The thing is, is what came about as to who was happiest in their marriages were those who came from similar socioeconomic status. Wow. And that's so, the so, thing. So two, so a man and a woman or a man and a man, woman, and a woman. So people in a marriage where each person came from similar socioeconomic status. Right. And this, this study wow. covered. That's study, it covered it covered all all the the LGBTQs all the standards it covered everybody and it was it all came down to socioeconomic status which goes into what you were talking about is you have to be happy who you're hanging around don't hang around the guy who makes you know thirty forty thousand dollars more than you yeah he may be able to show you a good time but you're always gonna feel that disparity you're gonna hate it you're gonna hate it Hang around people that you get along with at your own socioeconomic level, because then keeping up with the Joneses is attainable. That's right. And it can satisfy that urge. Because you know what? You are the Joneses. And I think that probably brings us to a close. Chuck, walk us out. Right. Remember that. Because if you don't, ignorance is a is slow a death. Slow death. Thank you so much. Next week, y'all, we are going to hit you. And by the way, let me post emptively apologize for the fact that we've taken a couple weeks off and we will be back to you soon. The next topic is going to be much lighter. We're going to have some fun. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Pizza toppings, Tupac, doesn't matter. Point is, it's going to be much lighter than this topic. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Chuck? All right. Have a good night, everybody. And we will see you next week, hopefully. Cheers. Cheers. But before we go too far here, let's pause for a random sponsored segment. See you in a bit. 